Thank you for downloading this episode of Heartland Podcast. My name is Rasmus Quisgard, and I'm the program director of talks at Heartland Festival. The talk you're about to hear is called Sex in the Future. It's a live conversation that took place at Heartland Festival in 2017 in front of 1,100 people in our Future Talks tent. The conversation is between Medicilison and Sadie Loon. Medicilison is a Danish futurist who analyzes how technology and global megatrends affect us. She sounds like this. I see one big trend, which is the sexual experience economy. And that has two extremes. One is high tech and the other is high touch. So we are going to have more sexual experiences in the real world and in the virtual world. Sadie Loon is an American performance artist, activist and indie-born actress. In her own words, simply a pleasure activist and a feminist. And she sounds like this. It's really diminishing our sexual and erotic imaginations. Because when people used to just write letters to each other, there was a whole world of sensory input that was just in your mind that was full of passion and arousal. And the more that the tools give you the physical sensations, the less your mind is working. And the talk is moderated by journalist Musa Machangama. He sounds like this. You can go buy a robot and you can do whatever the fucking kinky thing you want to do with your robot at home. You don't necessarily need to get someone else. So you okay. don't need necessarily another person physically there. You don't need to share your kink or your lust or your pleasure. They discuss what sex is like in the near future, for instance new forms of dating, new forms of commercializing sex, new inventions such as virtual blowjobs, and questions like, how does it affect our level of empathy that we no longer have to be in the same room to have sex? Or what does it mean that sex isn't necessarily something you have with a human being? We'll focus the talk on uh, three, like, Big topics, we'll talk first about how sex is shaping our world, the new trends, what are we seeing? Then we'll talk about um, new technologies, what is going on, what is happening, where does that take us? And finally, we'll be talking about gender relationships and reproduction. So there's something for everyone, I hope. Um, but first of all, let me ask you, and I'll start with you, Meta. If you were to say, this is the new biggest trend that I see, what would you say for the future? Um, I see one big trend, which is the sexual experience economy. And that has two extremes. One is high tech, and the other is high touch. So we are going to have more sexual experiences in the real world and in the virtual world. So we're going to see both of them. And what does that, what does that mean? That, we, that those two are working together, are they opposites or do they work together? They work together as well because the virtual and the real world is getting more and more mixed. So in that way, they work together. But high touch is also like an anti-trend to all this technology. So it depends on what you do with it. You can do both or you can do one of them. It's up to you. Right. And we'll, I know, deep delve into more of this topic when we talk about technology, but Sadie, what about you? What do you see as the future biggest trends? Well, I think in the past and also coming into the present, um, there's been this assumption that intimacy, sex, romance, and family are kind of necessarily bound together in one complete unit. And in the future, I see more deconstruction and decentralization of all of these things. So it becoming more of like a piecemeal grab bag as far as how we relate to each other, our own bodies, our pleasure, and our reproductive wishes. wishes. And um, I also see more commodification of all of these elements. And why or how do you see that if we go back to the first part? Well, one way is that I'm living it. Um, <laughs> I have a child that was um, conceived in, uh, incredibly intentionally, like with many years of preparation, and I'm raising her with 
two uh, other queer parents, neither of whom are biologically related, and this is like a chosen family that we've built together, and I'm not the only person in a construction like that that I know, and we all have our own romantic and intimate relationships. Also, as a sex worker, I clearly see trends like um, cuddle work, where it's not erotic, it's not uh, relating to genitals, but sex workers are seeing clients now who I think, as Meta was saying, an anti-trend to technology, to constant screen time, want to spend an hour just cuddling with someone. Just the physical touch and affection is becoming, um, you know, apart from orgasm, apart from uh, necessary uh, erectile tissue stimulation, that, that's a discrete commodity at this moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And what about the, um, the what you say, the, the way those things work together? You have high touch on one, mm-hmm. one end of it, um, but is it something you see that we are going to seek from, you were saying, sex workers, for example, or is it something that we will do privately as well? with virtual reality on one side or high technology on the other side? Um, I mean, I'm a sex worker, so I see a lot of things through the the lens of sex work. But what I see is that a lot of people are going to have increasingly intimate relationships with their machines and their screens. And so as uh, high-tech sex and porn becomes more and more developed, more sophisticated, people are going to have a lot of their own intimate and vulnerable experiences where they um, they used to be with another person and there would be fumbling and awkwardness and smells and showing body parts that they don't normally show. show. All of that's going to be done through the realm of technology, which cuts down on a lot of vulnerability. But on the other side, especially older generations are going to really, really miss what it's like to have the feeling of skin under their fingers, to be able to smell someone's hair, whether it's clean or not, to be all of these um, sensory inputs that can only come from human-to-human contact. And so I think... uh, especially the younger generation who's growing up where they have online profiles before puberty are going to be really, really used to um, virtual sexuality and actually not only used to it, but much more comfortable with it because it will cut down on a lot of the, the awkwardness and vulnerability of what it is to get naked or expose your desires to another person. Whereas the older generation, I think, are going to be specifically seeking out sex workers with very, very niche um, uh, offerings of like elements of affection and intimacy that are not as readily available in the world anymore. And then there'll be people like the uh, people in the tantric scene, for instance, who will not be commercial, but who will be very um, intentionally focusing on intimate emotional and spiritual connections as a, an, an antidote in life. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Meta, you started out by saying this high touch versus high tech. Why is that, your, and you work as a futurist, why is that your, um, why, is it, why are you saying that specific thing? What is happening right now in society that makes you say, this is where we're going? I mean, this is actually a title for the entire future. Uh, so this shows everywhere. We have how you explain it, where we have like the functional technological sex, which we might have during the week. That's just what we do. Mm. And then maybe in the weekend, we meet with a person and actually get really intimate and have this um, very extreme, very nice experience. So the thing here is that what has been normal, what has been natural back in the days, is coming, is becoming the new luxury. Like today, we, when we say we go to the, to the forest, it's like, wow, I was in the forest today. I was in the nature. And it's the same with sex. I was actually with a real person. I looked her into the eyes. Wow. It was, it was passion. Yeah. It was not just an orgasm. Right. And so. on Instagram. <laughs> at the same time. I think we should um, get into this whole technological thing mm-hmm. a bit more. Could we get the uh, clip number seven, please? on the screen. So we have a, we have a couple of different clips here. Um, Boobies. This is one of, the, uh, one of the new things that are happening. As you may notice, there are um, writing in Japanese on this. Um, 
This is artificial intelligence. We can see here smell dating is going to be really big. Um, Mehdi, do you want to say something about what these things are meaning for us as people? Yeah, I mean, if you want to understand the technological development, we need to look to Japan. They're really extreme already. They have virtual girlfriends. They, there's a new concept called a waifu, not a wifey, which means that you have a digital girlfriend which you treat like we would normally treat our girlfriends or boyfriends. So we already have that, and um, we will bring that into virtual reality as well. That means that we can actually have sex in the virtual world with these uh, digital girlfriends. So we can date Cinderella or whoever we want to date. And um, the movie we just saw, that's uh, what's called sex toys, sex tech toys, which is technology that is connected to the internet and which you can, can, which responds with interact with you. So it's not just the dildo, it's actually responding to how you move and how you feel. And does it respond to other people as well? Yeah, you can do that. That's um, teledildonics. That's where um, you have one and I have one and then we can have sex together. We connect the dildos to the internet and then we can feel each other. So we can have real-time sex even though you're on the other side of the world. Right. Yeah. And so what do you think... I mean... <laughs> right. Oh, you guys That's have not... Skype sex. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> And I think, you know, what does that, what do you think that means for us as people? That we don't necessarily have to be physically in the same room as one another. That, that it's going through, you know, a wire through a computer. I mean, I think some of the things Sadie said, that we are going to see sex as one thing, relationships, feelings as another thing, and that sex is not necessarily something that you have with a human being. It is something you have with objects, it's something you can have with um, Disney figures, it's something you can have with whatever. So we're definitely going to understand sex as another thing as we do today. And, and, and what are we talking here in terms, of, in terms of timing? Because, as you said, the, the clip that, that we saw um, was from Japan. Yeah. So when are, we, when are we talking about this here in, in Little Denmark? I mean, you can go and buy a Tilludendonic now if you want to. Actually, another very funny thing I saw is that you can get uh, virtual blowjobs. Mm -hmm. So I can do a blowjob on this dildo, and I can download it, uh, upload it to the sky. Then you download it to your dildo, and then you can have my blowjob. So I mean, it's already here. That sounds pretty interesting. <laughs> can you do it vice versa as well? Yeah, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Yeah, um, so it's already here, but I mean, virtual reality is um, it's getting better and better. So in, in 10 years, it will be like really immersive experiences. Robot, 10 years, it will be normal to have a house robot. And Sadie, right now, mm -hmm. do you feel any of this in your sex work, for example, this whole technological focus? Do you see that things have changed in the way the things that people want or I would say not so much in my professional life but a little bit in my personal sexuality because most of my clients are people who are wealthier than me and older than me and um, older mostly men tend to um, be more attached and like all of us to the things that were um, very exciting and passion like arousing passion of their youth and so like hmm. people who uh, fetishize garter belts and old-fashioned stockings, for instance, because that's what their moms used to wear. So this, whatever is happening now around, you know, like thongs, which was like so hot in the 90s, you know, in 10 years, the, the men who have money to go see sex workers are going to be like, wear the thong, the thong, because when I was a teenager, <laughs> I was listening to Cisco, and <laughs> that was the shit. Yep. Um, <laughs> but uh, as far as this technology goes, one thing that it brings to my mind is that on the one hand, the tools of it make so much more possible, and especially with distance, and I see this uh, also with intimacy. Um, Long-distance relationships, I think, are becoming much more common and also sustainable in a way mm -hmm. through Skype, et cetera. 
But on the other hand, it's really diminishing our sexual and erotic imaginations because when people used to just write letters to each other, there was a whole world of sensory input that was just in your mind that was full of passion and arousal. And the more that the tools give you the physical sensations, the less your mind is working on your erotic, like kind of expanding your erotic imagination. Right. Um, yeah. So can we get, I think it's clip nine now when we're talking about toys as well, uh, the Packer clip, if we could get that up. Yes, from the New York Toy Collective. So something like, like this clip and the whole, the whole evolution of sex toys that also has something to do with technology, absolutely. What does that mean for people um, of all kinds of different genders and, and sexualizations? I feel like this clip kind of visually explains the decentralization that I was talking about because it says that it's a, a femme cock. And so, and you see that this particular sex toy is like lacy panties with a cock attached. And so instead of a kind of more typically masculine looking like leather, thick straps, uh, metal o-ring kind of like um, visually looking like maybe like gay men's leather club kind of uh, device. It's lacy, it's beautiful, it's pretty, but it's still a penis. And so it speaks to people's gender where um, they can still be femme and yet have a cock. And on the other hand, some people would want to wear that just to wear it because that's what feels good to them. That feels like the way that their body should be. Um, but you can also use it for fucking whenever you want. And the fact that these dildos are now bendable inside so you can wear them all day comfortably and then fuck whenever you want is, this is a kind of technology I'm definitely in support of. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what, what perspective does it also um, have for people who are not necessarily gender conformist or who are, let's say, disabled or whatever, we have all of these new technologies. Isn't it also just a new democratization of sex for a whole new different set of people that we haven't seen before? Yeah, I, I would definitely say that when I think about the future and technology, the populations that I see that I feel really positive and encouraged by are people like gender non-conforming people, people who don't fit into boxes easily in any way, people in intergenerational relationships, people um, with uh, ethnically or racially mixed backgrounds, that people who don't see themselves represented or can't find community within their family, within their school, easily and naturally. And then the internet brings them together and, and gives them strength and gives them support and also gives them techniques to make their lives, their the way that they look, the way they dress, and the way they fuck, much more accessible and closer to the them that they feel themselves to be. Right. And this, I think, is really positive and powerful and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in the future, we will have more and more technology that gives everyone kind of a mixed match of body types on this hand, sex practices on this an another aspect and gender as another aspect. So penis, vulva, asshole, 
man, woman, in between, um, you know, femme, dandy, butch, um, bottom, top, all of these things you can mix and, mix and match, and they don't all go kind of like, this only goes with this, only goes with this. Hmm. Right. This, I think, is very fun and exciting. All of these, met all of these new technologies, now we saw that this was originating in Japan, as you said, you can now go online, you can get whatever you want to go, whatever you want to have, and you can have it shipped right here to your address, but where do you see these new trends start, or what, what, who are the people that are getting these things out into the world, or who are using them to, to start out? I mean, the technology, uh, technology is from right. Japan. Mm -hmm. They have like a kind of disconnected relationship to sex already, or at least a very technological one. Whereas we see all the more sex-positive movements, they're coming from the, the bigger cities like San Francisco, New York, those kind of um, areas. So it's, it depends. I think high touch is more like the progressive cities, and then we have the technology coming from Japan right. and China. But, but are, we seeing, are we seeing this out, even in progressive cities? Mm -hmm. Is it for everybody? Is it everybody who will be in the future interested in this or doing this, partaking in this? shopping for this, or is it still going to be a niche group of people? Mm, I think it will become mainstream, yes. Right. I mean, people will be too curious not to, to try it out, at least. I'm not saying that all of us will have sex with a robot every week, but I'm saying we will try it out. I mean, it's just you just have to type it in, and then you have it. Right. So why wouldn't you? Absolutely. Mm. Um, I would, I, <laughs> why wouldn't you? <laughs> I would say Good this point. stuff comes from nerds. It starts with nerds. And by nerds, I mean both like kind of your typical idea of a nerd that's someone who's into programming or engineering or science, as well as sex nerds, because there are these people who are super into all of the anatomical, neurological, um, emotional aspects of sex. And I think that when you have this kind of nerd that often is um, not so socially uh, adroit and uh, has a bit of body disconnect and wants pleasure, is also really excited about the technology and wants to design things for maybe someone who doesn't understand social connection so well, has maybe a lot of shame around physicality and intimacy, but is really excited about making new things that can be like exactly what they want. And then this kind of nerd who loves all the exploration of anything that has to do with how do people work with their pleasure practices and their, um, and their bodily functions. And these two kind of... Uh, sides of nerdness are, are building on each other right. and then becoming more mainstream, as Meta said. Right. But what does it mean that suddenly we can do, um, you can go buy a robot and you can do whatever the fucking kinky thing you want to do with your robot at home. You don't necessarily need to get someone else. So mm -hmm. you don't need necessarily another person physically there. You don't need to share your kink or your lust or your pleasure. What do you, both of you, think that means for us as humans and for our sexuality as humans? I think this is a super interesting question. What I see, what you're talking about here are vulnerability and shame. These are the two things that I think of when you're, when you're addressing this. Because basically, up until now, when you want to do something that is outside of the sexual mainstream, something on the fridge, whether that's BDSM or pet play or water sports that's piss play, like, um, or gayness, you know, that was very outside of the, the sexual mainstream for mm -hmm. a very long time until recently. Um, you have to really expose something that, A, might be housed in a lot of internalized shame. You might have had a lot of bad uh, uh, experience and input from the outside world about it in the past. And B, is about vulnerability. It's about sharing something that um, you don't feel solid. You're, you're maybe a little scared. It's, it's, it's putting yourself available for judgment from someone else that you want to be close to. Right. And with what you're talking about, fucking robots in whatever way you want, whatever fantasies are in your head, you can just play them out and there's no kind of consequence, but there's also no social um, breakthrough or connection in that. It, it actually kind of scares me a little bit because I feel like it doesn't do anything to diminish shame, but it really decreases the... Um, people's avail 
ability to express themselves and stretch into vulnerability, going outside of their comfort zones. And this, I think, is one of the most crucial social glues that helps us empathize with each other, that helps us relate, that helps us give each other the benefit of the doubt and become close is expressing vulnerability. And when that is taken out of the picture, I feel like we will have an increasingly emotionally disconnected society, Mm. but also, ironically, an increasingly prudish one. People won't be used to getting naked in front of another person anymore. They'll be used to being able to, you know, shove whatever they want in the mouth of their robot and call it whatever names they want and then go to work and have that be a completely distinct aspect because they're not flirting with their coworker and thinking about that stuff with them. It's like totally over there. Right. But it's quite interesting because right now, at least... In, in Denmark, there's a really big, or generally, globally, I feel like there's a, a big debate going on, or a big consent is a very big topic. Mm. Um, and uh, one of my good friends, for example, has recently discovered pet play. Mm-hmm. So he's, um, he's into uh, wearing dog masks, and he's looking for an owner right now that can um, take him out on walks. And it's a very sexual practice for him, um, which I find you know, incredibly interesting. Good for you, whatever you want to do. And at the same time, that's not something you can do with just whomever. There needs to be, first of all, of course, a lot of consent, but it's also an extremely vulnerable practice. Sure. Just as well as you don't let just anyone tie you up like a Christmas ham in a room and leave you for 30 minutes. <laughs> um, that's something that is very, a very social thing, even though it's also a very intimate thing. Um, it's true, and it's also what builds subcultures. Right. Because being able to express that vulnerability is what makes small groups of people with similar interests who are not within the mainstream get together, support each other, et cetera. And that goes beyond just the sexual. You're looking for a play partner, but in fact, you find a support group right. along well. Mm-hmm. And then a bunch of exes and dramas as well. But Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think we, um, what we are seeing here is, again, to say the high tech versus the high touch when we see that um, I can just get an orgasm by a push on my phone, it uh, doesn't come, become that interesting anymore. We, I think right. we will realize that the, that the relationships between people, the passion, everything that you can't just buy or download or whatever, we will see that as the things we really want. So I, right. I really, I, can, I definitely think that a lot of people will just I hope not too many people, but we'll just live in the virtual world and would just have relationships with, um, yeah, virtual characters and robots and AIs and so on. But I also see that a lot of people would would really like say, well, this is artificial. I I want to go out in the real world and try to put it out in the world. I I can see that this is not the real world. So that's why the the new luxury kind of become the relationship between people. Mm. Right. So we just see it in another way. I think it kind of just um, put focus on what it's really about and our humanity. Speaking about that, sorry. Um, we're going we're gonna to elaborate about this because we're going to move into relationships, reproduction, mm. um, gender. Can we get the next cycle of clips up, please? Um, we see right now an incredibly big focus on gender um, and on non-conforming genders mm-hmm. in, 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 in pop culture, at least here in the Western world. Um, what is happening, what do you see happening in the foreseeable future when we're talking about gender and, and relationship? Um, I think the gender movement is uh, so positive and so important because they are, I think they are the first movers in saying we don't want just to buy this cultural package that we have done for so many years. We are going to break it and we are going to choose to be ourselves. And I think that's not only important only for people that don't feel that they belong to the sex they were born with, but just for people all in, in general, that right. we start saying, hell no, I want to be me. Right. So in that way, I think it's such an important movement. And why? Because we have somewhere in this, we have a clip of David Bowie, if we can get that. Yeah. So this beautiful fellow here, of course, was, was um, exploring gender in, in many ways. So this is not necessarily something new. Um, It's not something that's just happening now, but how is this new gender movement different from what we saw in in the 80s, and and how will it push forward, do you think? 
I mean, it's different because now we see it in fashion, we see it as a stages. I mean, it's not very popular just to be normal anymore. You have to be something. So in that way, it's very supportive today. And uh, I mean, there was a recent, um, a recent study in the, in the UK saying that 50% of people between 18 and 25 couldn't say that I'm completely homo, I'm completely hetero, so they are in between. So I think, yes, you're saying that it's not a new thing, but still, maybe that's my thesis here, that maybe we as a human species are evolving. Mm -hmm. Maybe we are not going to be the same human as we were 100 years ago. We could become more like feminine, masculine in the same body. Right. And I feel like um, with gender, what actually technology is a lot of what the difference is between the David Bowie era and now because technology through the internet has given transgender and non-binary people, non-binary people often call themselves genderqueer, they're people who don't identify as either man or the woman, they, they live in between. And, um, and there's a huge range of what these people look like, present as, how, uh, how they call themselves, people who use pronouns like they or Z instead of he or she. And this is people in, this is my community. And one thing that's really useful has been the internet as a private and yet very supportive meeting ground for, mm -hmm. these, for, for these movements to grow. And then also when there's enough strength and support to come out in very visible ways. So many trans people, when they're about to, to um, start a transition, now in the past, they probably, many people, it was, they were the only person like mm. that that they know. They were the only people that they knew had those feelings. And maybe they knew other trans people, but they also didn't know that because people were so, too afraid to express it. Now, trans people go to YouTube, they look at like, okay, day three of taking testosterone, you know, six months after chest surgery, et cetera, et cetera. And there's hundreds of YouTube videos of, um, all right, I've been taking this kind of estrogen on this level, and this are my body changes, this is how I'm feeling emotionally, this is the kind of reactions I'm getting in the street, this is what I said to my family about coming out, and there's just so much more kind of models and support. And with that also comes more room for non-binary-ness in culture in general, all of this middle space. And as you said, this high tech on this side and high tech on the other, I also see connected to the Bowie thing, um, a, a counter counter movement of a middle ground, which takes old technologies like, uh, you know, witchcraft and sex magic and, and ritual with new technologies, internet, electric stuff, uh, virtual reality, and combines them into kind of like a new ancient sexuality. And um, there's mm -hmm. a band called Hyenas, for example, that's kind of like a modern-day boification mm -hmm. that is a mix of genders, a mix of personality, old ritual with new technology, and these things are also finding a place where you don't have to be binarily, you know, old-fashioned mm -hmm. nor totally postmodern. Right. That's so interesting. Now, you yourself are living in, she was a non-heteronormative family, installation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, how is that, in your perspective, just in your everyday world, changing families? And how do you see that changing family as an institution in the future? I'm going to ask both of you right now. I see there becoming um, a decreasing emphasis on biology in family, um, which I find p very positive. And I don't think it's just for queer people. I think with um, assisted fertility treatments, with patchwork families, uh, kids of divorce, and then more kids, and then all of these things, biology is not the main factor anymore as far as children and adults who raise them and what those what those connections and bonds are about. And I really look forward to a future where our language kind of develops about that. There's a little bit like the, the American English term baby daddy, for instance, mm -hmm. for the person who is the biological uh, like inseminator of the child, but not necessarily my husband, boyfriend, etc. And I look forward to more words like that because in my experience, especially in this, um, in this family that I'm part of that we've built together with my child and then her two other parents, Dada and Papa, uh, it's, it's not, it, it is so clear to me that 
parenthood has nothing to do with biology. Parenting is all in an act. Parenting is a verb. It's who spends time with you. It's who, you know, brushes your teeth. It's who makes sure you're fed and who emotionally consoles you. And I, and I, I want words for that, like the non-biological person who is the parent. Um, but it's, as I said, it's not just for queers. So many people, I think in, in the States, it's actually become maybe the majority of people are not anymore living in nuclear, one woman, one man, we're married with our kids, families anymore. It's a lot of single parents. It's a lot of, you know, the third marriage out with the stepkids of the one and then the, the, mm-hmm. the niece of somebody right. who's dead and et cetera, et cetera. Right. And what does that mean for families as an institution in the future or, and or reproduction? I agree very much with what you are saying and I definitely think we need a new vocabulary to, to understand all this. But I, I think the interesting thing here is also the, that we have always thought that we were, when we were born, we were meant to, to live out our, our sex, actually. I was meant to be a woman who got married and got mm-hmm. children. That was the purpose of my life. Mm-hmm. Now the purpose of life is changing because my purpose is not to, to get a man anymore. I can have many men. And, uh, and my, a robot. <laughs> and, and anything else, exactly. sure, sure. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Um, and, 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 and I don't need a man to, to get kids. I don't need a man to have a family. I can be, uh, have family with my friends and whatever. So we have to redefine what is the purpose of life? Why are you here? If the purpose is not for you to, to get married and all do all this, get two kids in a house, what, what, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with your life? That's the question. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I would and, also and remind- what is the answer, do you think? Save is the world. Too- what else? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, I would also remind us that the nuclear family structure is actually quite new. It's only post-industrial revolution, and, right. and it's probably a- around 100 years old now, maybe actually um, even younger. And so this, this normalcy that we've yeah. all grown up with is actually quite a young Model. view of what is normal right. as far as how we relate, what our family structures look like, and that's definitely in big uh, transformation now. Awesome. Um, we were, you were just both really, really quickly brushing up on this earlier, but we're talking about the, the teens of, of today. Mm. How are they, I, I don't think we've, not necessarily ever, but um, the, the younger generation right now seems quite progressive. You men- mentioned this British study where, not, um, where almost 50% are saying they don't identify as either 100% straight or 100% gay. Um, what does that mean for our ch- future, that we just have this new generation of, of teens and tweens and in-betweens and whatever we should call all of them that don't really identify as we've known previously, or at least it's a, it seems like a big cultural change. Mm-hmm. Where do you think this is, is taking us? I mean, to make an overview, it's, it's very similar to anything else in the world. We, we are in, a, in an area where we, we choose who we want to be. I don't just accept that you want to eat my food. I'm, you might be vegan with a twist of something. I mean, we are going to define anything. We are not just going buying into religion. We are going to define our own spirituality. So that in so many different ways, I think we just need to be very tolerant with each other mm. because there's no, there's no one model. You're not going to the supermarket and say, I want that package, I want that package. No, it's customization, it's personalization. So we just have to accept that people are so different and we can't like, just understand people by all these things we have been used to. We have to look at the individual and try to understand them. And so does that, does that mean that there... Um that sexual culture is being even broader as well with them moving forward and becoming more sexual? Yes, I think, I think in general, we have seen only the top of the iceberg of right. what sex can be like. Right. Yeah, and I would say that um, this individualization is definitely growing. And the positive thing about that is hopefully more self-fulfillment, people being able to give, live their gender and sexual identities more truly to themselves with decreased shame and and decreased judgment from the world. The negative side is that we are getting so in the Western world uh, specific and intolerant of um, anything that's not exactly specifically what we feel like in this moment. We're so used to being able to to order everything very, very, very specifically Mm. um, uh, developed just to our taste in that time. And this, I think, is making us a little bit... uh, 
less open to, and I found this a lot like for sex, through sex work, for instance, that people would come to me and say, okay, I would really like to worship your feet. I would really like to do pet play, for instance. I would really like to, something like that. And some of these things I had an idea of and no experience of, and my idea often was, I'm not into that. And then I would experience them because it was my job, and it wasn't something that I was definitely against. It wasn't non-consensual. It was in this framework, I'm fine to try it, but I don't think it's my thing. And then I'd see the way that people's passion around this certain act or fetish grew and their arousal connected to it. And then I would get this insight of, oh, that's how that's really sexy to you. And in fact, now it's sexy to me. Mm -hmm. And this was a great learning and transformation process. And one thing that I'm a little worried about with this increasing emphasis on very, very specific individualization is that people will lose their flexibility and become uninterested in trying things that they don't already know are their things um, because, because we're all working together, because we're exploring together. And, and what should we do to counterbalance that, if you could, if you could I would say that. a lot of eye-gazing. Because <laughs> awesome. I'm a hippie and I lived in San Francisco for 10 years. <laughs> and, a, and a lot of fucking as well. Yeah, at the same time. Obviously. Look in each other's eyes while you fuck. Sniff each other's armpits. Don't, you know, say hi to people when you meet them in the street. Shake people's hands. I um, also... in used to do a lot of performance art and one thing that I really liked about that was I, I a lot of my art was about exercising the intimacy muscle and this is what I what I think is a really good kind of concrete practice for us is think about all the ways that we physically um, enact intimacy with each other sexuality is always going to be there people are going to be able to come people are going to be able to get turned on we have a very very strong kind of neurologically grooved system to make that happen but intimacy in connection to sexuality i think this we need to work on and continue to practice because our screens are really really appealing and really really easy and we just we we very briefly touched upon that backstage when we were out here but one thing is that we can, should we say, curate our own experience and, mm. and get very, very specific and create our own little identity. But we also have a phone right here and we take selfies all the time and do pictures of ourselves and we put ourselves out there in a completely different way. What do you think that means for our sexuality? I think we're Yeah, about I think everybody. That's, that's a really important topic here because as I mentioned to begin with, and maybe also the solution to that, that is that we are having the sexual experience economy. So we are going to try out more stuff and maybe also things that we didn't see coming. Uh, but when we have an experience economy, it means it's about identity. And we put sexuality into our identity. We haven't done that so much before. Now, now sexuality is something we put in the public space. Mm. It's not something we have at home, behind the curtains. We put it out there. But what we put out there is our image, it's the ego. So I see we get a bigger disconnection between the core self and the ego, the image of you. And it's the image of you who go to all those sex parties and if they have virtual reality and who, who want to do all these things. If that is so, that is a problem, I think. I think the problem here is that we get this connection between me, what do I feel, what it's feel like when I have the eye gazing, and then what is my image saying? Who do I want to be? Is it, again, just a new culture, a new conditioning saying you have to be very sex positive to be cool? Or is it actually because you feel like it? Mm -hmm. So that's thing, a thing I think we should be really like, focused on, especially between young people who think that have to do a lot of porn and behave like porn stars to be, to be normal or to be accepted, to, to see that it's just the ego, yet maybe it's not you. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, we're also experiencing a lot of... Um, a search, a really big search in amateur porn, for example, and people using cams to perform or, you know, whatever. So there's also, I think, a counter movement there. Yeah, I mean, I would not want mm. to disparage anyone's exhibitionism or voyeurism. I think right. that these are two very powerful aspects of people's sexuality that we... Um, that, that, we, that we shouldn't shame or judge. However, it's true that our culture is becoming increasingly and overwhelmingly voyeuristic and exhibitionistic um, with selfies, with Instagram, with Facebook, etc. And people's 
emerging sexualities, young people's emerging sexualities, will definitely be shaped by that in ways that I'm not sure how that will, will mm. end up in the future. Right. Um, can I say two, two things Absolutely. about um, other movements that I see uh, go ahead. Getting, getting some bigger play in the future? So as you said about this high-tech, high-touch, I also see a really a primal movement. The primal is a term kind of in BDSM about people who like to be dirty, naked, bloody, maybe, really like use their hands and their teeth, like no technology, really get to their animal natures and whether it's pet play and you have a lot of gear and it's very um, framed as I'm the pet, I'm the owner, or whether it's just like beast people running around in the forest to fuck each other, I think there will definitely be a sexual movement towards that's very, very dismissive and pushing away any sort of technology and trying to get into a bestial animal nature. Yeah. I also see the eco-sexuality movement um, gaining more and more popularity. And, and what does that so ecosexuality is a movement that was um, invented by Annie Sprinkle and her partner Beth Stevens. They're, Annie Sprinkle was a porn star in the 70s, and thank you very much, there they are. And um, now they're, they're both performance artists, uh, I think in their 60s, living in San Francisco. And basically it's about making love to Mother Earth. And, but what I, how I see this developing is not just in um, kind of like art practices around connecting sexuality and nature, but also things like um, compostable and biodegradable safer sex uh, uh, tools that are not only safe, non-porous, but also somehow magically can break down and don't leave a lot of trash in a landfill. Um, sex toys that are maybe made from natural materials, things that connect our, our um, the commodification of sexuality with a like earth-friendly natural perspective. Right. Can I say something? Mm, absolutely. I think also when we talk about technology, it's also we shouldn't think that this just this connection. It's nothing to do with nature. It's nothing to do with being human, because it actually is. I mean, virtual reality is more interactive. It's more real than porn. So, and and also with going back to nature in the future, we will be able to send sensors to each other, send to, and to, mm, and you like will also be linked to to animals as well. You can get animal senses on your, to your body. So you could actually, at some point, be able to feel how it's like to get a, an elephant orgasm, for instance. Wow. So it's not, to say, it's not to say that technology is against nature. You can actually put nature into technology as well. That and, sounds and, like a really big organism. And really relate to nature and to, to animals as well. So. Yeah, I also imagine that there's going to be a lot of development in neurobiology mm -hmm. and connecting um, neurology with uh, external tools, which queer people now just do with our minds. We, you know, give each other different genitals, different body parts, mm -hmm. uh, different appearances by verbally talking about it while we're fucking in a way that creates a reality that you can actually feel often when it's working well. Exactly. But, but I think this is gonna be externalized into tools, programs you can uh, use in your brain. That's a nice spanking clip. Um, can we see the neurosex? Yeah, can we see just really quickly before we have to wind up? Uh, neurosex is a project that uh, someone that I know, it's a kind of like an art porn project based on the work of Shuli Chang who is also working on dystopian future sexuality stuff. Here we go. And this is about what happens when you download sexual codes as part of your getting off practice, but when people want to make viruses in those codes. Oh, shit. Then you got problems. Oh, yeah. Syphilis is not a big deal when you got a neural <laughs> code virus. Can you turn down the audio again, please? So what you're actually saying, if you can put a virus into this, this could be a whole new, a whole new thing for hackers to actually hack other people's sexuality. Exactly, and the, yeah. and the kind of premise, the narrative premise of this series so you is can rape that somebody. Is, well, is that it, it's actually a killer virus. So, so you download a code that was made by two sex workers fucking. That code then has all of the emotional and bodily sensations 
in it, you can download it mm. to your brain. So you're basically living the experience that they had and seeing it at all in the same time. But if there's a virus in that code, you orgasm and you die. That's what that movie is about. Well, it's not the worst so, way to die. But you can die. get trauma, but you could probably also remove them again. You can exactly. clean your brain. So. <laughs> exactly. You're an I optimist. Will, uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, will, I will let that be not necessarily the final last words. We have a minute and a half, but mm -hmm. I want you guys just, if there's anything, one last point you want to get out there before we finish. Um, you have one minute and 30 seconds, and otherwise I will say thank you very much. Do you I, I will say that don't be afraid of technology, don't be afraid of it, embrace it and add a bunch of consciousness. Really right. feel what it does to you, then you, will, what it, then you will probably be fine. And do you have any tips to where we, we could go online and find all these new technologies? I mean, consciousness is really important, and eye-gazing might be a start. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would like to say that, um, yeah, with anything, there's gonna be, there's gonna be a plus and a minus. And so the addition of technology and increasingly technological sexuality will make some people's realities so beautifully impossible to imagine from the past that uh, people will be much, much more sexually fulfilled and, and self-fulfilled in their bodies. On the other hand, we don't wanna lose literal to contact with each other, touch each other, no. have affection, and that um, we just need to balance both of these things. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, all of you guys, for coming. <laughs>catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.